Are you cubing while podcasting? No. <laughs> Who would ever do that? Uh, like, I mean, of all the podcasts, this is probably a fairly likely one for it to happen. I mean, do you, do you hear, like, cube noises or something? I don't hear anything. I, I must just be imagining it. <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? Uh, nothing. Uh, this is Layer by Layer, a show about cubing, possibly. Oh, Although, layer by know, layer. That's no... what I'm doing. Right. Oh, wait. Oh. Yeah. Well, there's no cubing going on here, of course. Of course not. No, I'm definitely not using layer by layer to solve a cube right now. <laughs> That'd be pretty silly, especially considering I'm turning a four by four. Uh, what? Oh, I mean, I'm not turning a four by four. If you were, would you be using like? How would you even get the two layers? Would that just be with comms and stuff to fill in pieces? <laughs> Probably. I, that, I was thinking about that the other day, actually. That Oh, and I just messed up parody out thinking about layer by layer. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I was thinking about the other day, and, that, like, if I were trying to solve a 4 by 4 layer by layer, I guess I would, like, build the first layer intuitively and then just, like, center com and wing com my way to victory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Just, like, a worse blindfolded method. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a great idea. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> this is Layer by Layer. We've got a subreddit where you can give us feedback. You should be able to find it pretty easily. We post about every episode there. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, October 24th, 2018. That is a day of the year. That is today of the year. Several days after the last time we've done this. Yeah, almost a full month after we last recorded, and it'll probably be almost a full month before this one's uploaded. I mean, we never really promised an exact schedule, but that every two-week schedule was definitely a thing. And then that just kind of stopped for <laughs> all of a sudden. And let me tell you why. About October 8th, uh, like about two weeks ago, a little more than that from today... Uh, I got into a bit of a nasty bike accident. Kind of set me back when when you all of a sudden kind of have limited uh, time due to having a bad leg and two bad wrists. Uh, you kind of have yeah. to pick and choose what's important in life to use with your limited energy. And uh, unfortunately, uh, podcasting does not pay me anything. So uh, <laughs> have to true. reprioritize a little bit. That's um, true. That being said, I'm not about to like open a Patreon for this podcast uh, because... <laughs> No matter, I realize that our fan base is not exactly going to fund, you know, my living, my way of living. So, I mean, maybe if you cut out like, you know, the, the like gold encrusted food and the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of any other opulent things. Um, yeah. If I lived in like, like a tiny room and like only ate bread, maybe I can make a living off this podcast. So you're saying I could make a living off this podcast. Oh, is that what you do? You live in a tiny room and only eat bread? Yeah, bread is pretty great, though. <laughs> um, so, so you're doing better now, though, right? Yeah, I'm better, for the most part. Um, my wrists are still, like, especially my left wrist is still pretty painful. Um, mm. It's, it, I mean, it recovered pretty quick. Basically, the, what happened, um, it, I didn't, like, crash with anybody. Um, it was a railroad track that got me in. Ooh. Yeah. If you're unfamiliar with how biking and railroad tracks work, railroad tracks are very straight little ditches, and bikes are very narrow-wheeled uh, vehicles, and it is very easy for your wheel to just kind of all of a sudden turn suddenly into a railroad track, and yeah, uh, yeah that's kind of what happened. 
Uh, the reason uh, that I was kind of caught off guard with this, I feel like um, with it being so dry in the summer in Portland, that I've gained maybe a little too much confidence in the angle at which I can take railroad tracks. Mm. Ideally, you go perpendicular. I was going a little less than perpendicular, and it was the first wet day that I had biked. Mm. And I think the wetness is what did it. Just like the wheel kind of like slid into the the track, basically. Yeah, it kind. I mean, my wheel is definitely wider than the track, but it's also like the the way that like light rail tracks work is like the outside is a little higher than the inside. Mm. So I think it was more like that. It just because it's like a tiny little cliff that it was enough to kind of just get caught in that. Now, not to like place blame on another bicyclist bicyclist for this, but um, this is just a very huge issue I have with avid cyclists about like two minutes before this happened uh i was at a intersection i'm on a i'm on a dedicated bike road like there are traffic lights and the traffic lights have bicycle lights in like lights are shaped like bicycles inside the traffic lights that is a really portland thing yeah yeah i mean (laughs) this is bike town i'm waiting it there because not only is the light red it's shaped like a bicycle and is red so i am a good person and of course, just as if I am driving a car and I realize, you know, this light is red, but there's no traffic coming. I could go straight, but I am going to obey the law. It's amazing that that logic doesn't apply to bicycles as well, even when the traffic light has bicycles inside the light. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I guess like the thought that most people probably have is that like on a bike, you feel like you're more in control and like the, any accident you cause would be more minor, right? I don't know. I, maybe, I, I maybe personally, that's the feeling. I, my, my personal thought is that people feel slow on a bike compared to other forms of transit and they have to put so much more energy into it that they don't want to stop. And they feel like that somehow gives them the right to just go through things, even though they mm. shouldn't. And to be fair, I, I do, uh, commute by electric bicycle. So <laughs> while I do use my energy, um, it's, I have, I am assisted by a battery Yeah. so I can go faster um, that also made the crash a little harder, because um, <laughs> I was going about 20 when I hit that thing. Okay, so I'm waiting at this light, and some other biker just whips around me while I'm still, and is and just goes through the intersection. And I think, oh mm-hmm. great, that guy's definitely not going as fast as I will be going on my electric bike. I'm gonna have to pass him. And of course, up ahead after this light, there are railroad tracks to the right, to the immediate left of us. And I made it over one set of railroad tracks, pat, got past him. And then made sure I gave myself plenty of distance to get around and then moved over and wipe out. (laughs) So um, don't want to necessarily blame it on him, but he did run a red light that if he did not run, this never would have happened. And not only that, he didn't even stop to he went right around me and didn't even check to see what was up. Wow. Yeah, that's. So, yeah, um, I think I might have heard him shout like, you OK, maybe in the distance, but he never like stopped his bike or anything to really check. I was really not in a state to shout back or anything. Uh, so, yeah. So moral of the story, if you were on a bike, you obey the rules of the road, just like any other vehicle in the road. It's an incredible concept. I know and I second that <laughs> lost on way too many people, but it is what it is, and uh, probably, if it didn't happen then, I probably would have uh, learned that I'm too confident in uh, 
my abilities with railroad tracks <laughs> at some point. So uh, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're recording. Um, I am mostly functional now and uh, still trying to catch up on the days I lost to being basically uh, inoperable. But mm-hmm. we'll keep going and see how it goes. <laughs> How's how's life with you, Andrew? Hopefully a little less depressing than that. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty normal. Uh wow. Yeah, not too much to report on. I guess I can tell you about some of the stuff I've been doing in some of my classes cuz there's been some interesting stuff especially with film. Oh, okay. Uh, we've been shooting on like actual film. Ooh, which sucks. It's the <laughs> worst thing to shoot film yeah it's just i don't know why we have to do this in this day and age especially by the time i'm like even in like the next couple years or whatever it takes for me to get working on this actual stuff no one's gonna be using film like how this isn't gonna back in my day we (laughs) filmed video on the leaves and things we melted on trees i don't know thanks thanks, (laughs) grandpa kit We picked ourselves up by our bootstraps and used our bootstraps as film. <laughs> I don't remember what my specific complaint was when I wrote this into the uh, into the document here to, to talk about it with you, but I can tell you that it is just, it's not fun. <laughs> it's, you have yeah. to like, you know, like the camera, maybe it's just the specific cameras we were using, but like they were super hard to focus on anything. And right can't look at what you're doing it was just it was just not good i mean at least i mean it maybe they're teaching you the appreciation of technology today i mean other than that i don't really know what the purpose is <laughs> yeah i i really don't i guess there are some people who still like to shoot with film but i can also make the choice to not do that and it, so right <laughs> in what context would you ever need to shoot with outdated equipment yeah, I, I mean, there are like film things that aren't necessarily outdated. Like you, like it's just it gives a different quality to the film and stuff, right? And right, you know, if you project it, there's no like pixels or anything, so it's not like, like I guess you can have a better looking thing if you have really <laughs> nice high quality film, right? But you, but also these days, like if you can shoot in like 8K or something, that's not going to make a difference that's at, at all noticeable. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, that sounds frustrating. Uh, it is. <laughs> I don't know. Ho- hopefully, they realize that that's stupid and stop doing that. Really. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know there are like some film schools that have stopped actually teaching film stuff, mm-hmm. but it's still like, surprisingly literal common film stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they just decide to stop teaching the thing their entire purpose is. Right. Yeah, we just we we say we're a school, but we actually just throw parties all day. <laughs> actually probably not too far off from what some schools are like but yeah uh, <laughs> shall we get into some follow-up here sure let's do it um so on our last episode we discussed the having like sort of like a three-tiered system or something for the wca as far as like what events there are yeah um and i was just thinking about like if anyone wanted to start like a non-wca like sort of thing on its own kind of like you were talking about with speedcubing.com or uh back in the day and just have like the intention of like always being open to merging with the wca if it gets popular enough mm-hmm. like i don't know if something like that would ever get popular enough to actually make it so that the wca wants to merge with them but i feel like that's a way you could implement a system and show that it kind of works as a proof of concept before yeah moving on with anything i think that the the difficulty in ever merging with the wca is there definitely need to be like the same rigorous standards of um 
adhering to results as we do with WCA results. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I was at a competition that held Killaminx unofficially. And, like, because it wasn't official, we were definitely not um, so strict on every regulation. Right. <laughs> because it didn't need to be. It's not official. One person brought up a Killaminx that was missing a, a, a side of stickers on it. And we were like, mm-hmm. I just walked in and I was like, this is not a legal puzzle. I don't care. <laughs> like, I just wanted to make sure he knew that, like, you couldn't remove, like, a whole side of stickers for, you know, a real WCA event. Yeah. But I was also like, I'm not about to make you find another Killaminx to use. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been at a competition or two with, like, Team Blind and stuff where it's just been run very haphazardly. So that's definitely something to consider. But I feel like it, it could be possible to pull this off if, yeah. if you just... I don't well, know I think... how you would generate enough interest in it to have, like anything on like a global scale though right and i think that the way that this sort of thing would have to work is um that when if an event ever does get like absorbed into the wca that the it's likely that the records that exist already probably won't get adhered to Mm -hmm. just because i don't if if we're establishing this other organization is just basically like a piggyback on wca events that hold non-wca events basically i don't see it you know, having the same respect for integrity of results that the WCA has. Yeah. That, that's my thinking of it, that um, if the, it might be a great way to measure the popularity of other events to see what, and get, you know, give people motivation to do other events and see what might be popular. But I don't think it would ever, like, get, have its results fully absorbed or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the WCA has taken, like, such a long time to develop into what it is. Um, so it's not like anything new could really gain that status right away. But I, I definitely think it'd be cool to do, to, you know, really essentially bring back speedcubing.com. Yeah. Um, at I least their so unofficial results database and have a more like more transparent and also present, uh, force in being able to show that like, Hey guys do unofficial stuff and we can rank it all here. Mm-hmm. and uh unfortunately i just don't have like the web development or database skills to like build yeah, something like that um but i think it'd be really cool if we could yeah yeah um i mean i'd love to see someone take a crack at it yeah i don't know because i mean I, we, that's probably a lot to ask of someone but <laughs> yeah i mean we can make a google sheet like there's nothing wrong with just like because i mean that's how Killaminks results i know are stored in like one google sheet but it'd be really cool and i feel like it would feel more legitimate if there was like a more f- official feeling website for that yeah yeah so is this a call out to our listeners to make something cool for us yeah if they want to if they if they liked the idea we had go listeners to, yeah make stuff <laughs> For my personal benefit. (laughs) Would you, though? Would you benefit from this? Uh, Probably. I mean, I want to have the ability to, like, have a, you know, an official source for Team Blind or other things like that. I think it'd be cool. Okay. That's true. Yep. For our benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And potentially others, but I don't care about other people. Right. That's the correct attitude towards life. Yeah. Exactly. Just like just like that biker that ran a red light and didn't stop yeah, to see Yeah, I was going to say, that's why you don't obey the law when you're a biker. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you don't. You just don't have to because it's not you. Yeah, because I don't care about other people. This is an individualist <laughs> society, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> to me, <laughs> which is what's important. That's right. 
it is kind of a self-fulfilling position to have on life. <laughs> I know, and this this is how we end up like this, and we're we just only care about ourselves and nobody else. That being said, go make something for me. <laughs> so if you can open up Cubix's friends, uh, oh boy, in in Facebook somewhere, we're gonna find this post together. All right, let me go. Let me go get my gas mask so I can breathe. <laughs> Um, Cubic's friends has just smelled so bad. I can't. I have to. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Uh, what am I looking for here? Um, somebody shared. So the WCA made a post mm-hmm. about how they're looking for a new applicant to the WCAT, which is the Competition Announcement Team, I believe, is what it stands for. So just search for that post. Someone shared it to Cubic's friends. Uh, is it Jacob Ambrose's post? My cat Sylvester wants to be the WCA cat. Yes, because okay. what we're going to do today is we are going to evaluate the applicants for the WCAT, the, the WCAT. The, the WCA cat. The, yeah. Got it. So, yeah, a lot, as you can see, a lot of people have posted pictures of their cats who want to be the WCA cat. And wow. I think we should help the WCA in their decision by evaluating them. Should we put these cats in our show notes? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Because these are all people's cats, so I'm not sure like what we can do if we got permission it, from all of them. Then they, they they post them to Facebook, you know. When it's on the internet now, man. It is a closed group, though. It is. I mean, but this is an open podcast. We can we can <laughs> message them all. I I don't mind messaging all of them and asking for permission to use their cat photos. Um. <laughs> all right, cat number one. All right, so um. That is a cat. I have no idea if this is going to be an engaging podcast topic. We might cut this whole thing out just so you know, because <laughs> uh, it is pretty visual. Um, <laughs> uh, this cat has a lot of whiskers, including whiskers coming out of its eyes. Yeah, I think that's fairly standard. Is it? Are you a cat person or a dog person? I hate you cats. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> they have whiskers coming out of their eyes. How I... strange. I've never seen this before. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I mean, you know, they have whiskers that come out like near their nose, not above their eyes. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> Are they just like that, like repulsive of anything happy that they want to feel it before it comes within the aura of their body? I, I think that it's just like fit, seeing if they can fit their head through spaces. But you know, uh, okay, you can read it that way too. This is good. This is good. It's like we're gonna have, um, <laughs> we're going to have like you know a sort of. Um, it's like having i'm like uh i can't think of an example like one of those like singing shows where you know you've got the one judge who's like really nice to everyone and then the one who's like super critical <laughs> good cop bad cop yeah yeah so so what do you think of this first cat you, as you said it's got it looks like uh you know we can only sort of see the front of it mm-hmm. um it's got a nice uh black and white paw there and it's got sort oh, of yeah. a white mane around its face which That's... is all black mm mm-hmm. mhm some bright whiskers stand out. I, I think this one's a pretty good-looking candidate. Yeah, um, I think the biggest criticism I have is that it's a cat. I I feel like it's going to be hard to avoid that for the WCA cat applicants. Um, man, you're right. Okay, all right, we got we. You know, on that scale, you're okay. You're right. This is definitely a strong candidate here, Jacob's cat. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna call that. Uh, I'll give it a solid seven out of ten. Okay. All right. How about this next one? All right. This next cat 
um, I'm pretty sure is uh, still a cat. It has... That's a fair assessment. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... It's got the same, like, you know, yellow eyes. Um, It has two ears. You know, there are those three-eared cats out there. And, uh, Uh, you know... There are? (laughs) I'm sure there's one out there. Um, Probably. And this, you know, not so much of the white mane, just, you know, your standard black cat. Um, It's not crossing my path, so that's a plus. it is October as we're recording this, so That's I mean, true. it's a fairly appropriate cat for the time. Yeah, and they're, they're kind of orangey eyes, so, um, yeah. you know, appropriate for October, but, you know, the w- the WCA cat needs to, uh, you know, live past October, so. All right, so what are you going to give this one? Uh, I'm going to give it a 11 for October, but a 6 overall. Okay, and you give the last one a 6 as well? I gave it a 7, actually. Okay, yeah. so I wonder how that averages out. We'll calculate it if it becomes relevant. Okay. Um, all right, we've got this next cat here. Uh, this one's like a gray cat with uh, black stripes, I'd say. Would yeah, be like, you know I'd what? Describe it a tabby. This is this is a really cute cat. I'm not going to lie. I hate cats, and this is a really cute cat. <laughs> all right, um, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if cuteness is really going to be the quite the right criteria for announcing competitions, but uh, yeah, well, I mean, they have to be good at like you know public relations and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, being cute can be part of that. That's true. I mean, with a face like that, that's true. You know, this next cat. Uh, oh wait, we need a rating. <laughs> we need a rating. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, let's let's go with a uh, solid seven point seven. Oh, and just a reminder to the listeners, there are pictures of these cats, or at least as many of them as we can get permission to use in the show notes somewhere, linked or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, all right, uh, this next cat. Mm, I like this cat. Sleeping on the job. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think this cat definitely would know how to, to relax and be able to be calm and cool under pressure, but... I'm I'm a bit worried about the dedication here. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's a good-looking cat. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously knows how to relax, but it could cause some issues. That's right. Um, we, we I think I'm ready to give a rating here. Go for it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it, for maybe another, you know, cat nap sort of position, not a WCA cat position. Uh, you know, I might consider this like probably like an eight or nine, but. Um, I'm a little concerned about the body of work here, and I think I gotta go with a 4.4. All right. Oh, and just so everyone knows, I'm not giving these ratings because they're all 11 out of 10s for me. Um, <laughs> so your rating's really gonna be the one that matters. Oh, I um, see. Yeah. If, right, if they were all dogs, they'd all be 11 out of 10. That's for sure. <laughs> when, when are we gonna have the W dog instead the of the W dog. cat? The World Cube Association d- uh, delegates or giants whoa we have to pick <laughs> yeah you only get one at each competition oh, man and then I think I would go well, with if the you giant. choose giants then you have to choose either mythical or uh new york or san francisco well definitely not san francisco that's for sure <laughs> all right cat number five okay what do you think of this one it's a very small kitten very small kitten. I'm actually doubting if this is actually that person's kitten. Yeah, it looks kind of familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it's also it's a really grainy picture. Like, looks like it was taken in 2007 or something. And I'm worried about the you know the experience here. You know, it's always good to inject youth into your organization, but uh, right. Yeah, but you never know if they're gonna like grow up and still be a at like 
like you know maintain their level of commitment and all that and they might move on we might need a new wca cat that's right yeah i think i'm gonna have to go with probably probably a five here there's potential but i'm a little hesitant on the risk here going so young and also i'm not even sure if this is a real application that's true yeah yeah could be just someone trying to you know waste our time that's right Um, yeah i mean it, it Really, you got to present yourself better here. I mean, taking a picture that has, like, pixels that you can literally see, it's a little, <laughs> little, little suspicious. All right, what do you think of this next one? I feel like you're going to like this one because you can barely see it. Oh, yeah, there's a cat in this picture? I thought that was a throw <laughs> pillow. <laughs> if it is, I want it. Um... <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know, this, this, this cat's got a cool name, too, Cadbury. The fact that you don't even have to notice this cat is a really strong asset. It's, they could just kind of blend into the background. Like, you know, if, if they're working seamlessly, you're not even going to notice, right? Yeah, I think that that's, that's a pretty strong quality. You know, just doing the work behind the scenes so you don't even notice there's an issue. You know, this is, this is, this is the up, moving up there. I got to go with like an eight and a half here, 8.5. Hmm. All right. All right. We got the next one. Another black cat. This one looks a little smaller than the last one. Mm-hmm. Also is still writing their application. I mean, like, come on, where's the timeliness here? We're expecting your fair, application to be The photo could in. have been taken, like, written, or could have been written by the time they submitted the photo and just, like, you know, taking the photo during the application process. Yeah, I, I, I get it, but, you know, you're really trying to cram in that application while you're taking the photo. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of concern about timeliness here. That's that's a fair assessment. I think that's all we need to know, actually. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Uh, I uh, I think I'm going to have to wait on this one. I'm still writing out the, uh, the the final score. We'll get back to this one. All right. You know, once, it's <laughs> in, once that application's in. Good point. <laughs> we got another one here, laying on a mat in front of a door. You'd make a better window than a door. Wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that the opposite of how that expression usually goes? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but this cat in particular would make a better window than a door. It would, but it's making a better door right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay. confu- I'm a very confused person. <laughs> um, I think that cat's given a little blep. Really? Like, oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe a little blep. <laughs> Very tiny, but there there is elements of a blep. So what does that say to you? You know, probably a good personality. Get along, mm-hmm. you know, with, uh, you know, fellow members of the WCA. And that, uh, that face, though, is a little cross-eyed. Like, I'm a little concerned about what's going on with this cat right now. Definitely a good personality. So it, it, probably in the, in, in the mixing. But I think I have to go with, you know, solid 7.8. Okay, so not quite up there with our with Cadbury yet, who's also the only cat whose name we know, which is a good thing to put on the application. Thank you for reminding about Cadbury, because I forgot that that cat existed. <laughs> um, all right, the next one. Not even looking at the camera. Oof. Quite a grainy photo. Um, yeah. Hard to tell much about this applicant. A little hard to figure out what's going on here. I, I don't think I can give a, you know, a, a quality like you know assessment here. There's just, you know... The, the application lacks detail. That's true. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I can give a, a valid assessment of this cat. Um, you know, I got to leave it at that. We're getting towards the end here. 
Uh, we got another one. This cat, this cat is totally high. <laughs> I feel like the picture was taken at a, like, maybe right when it woke up. Uh-huh. That likely story. It's, I, it's either way, it's a bad time to choose to take the photo. That's, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't, I, another sort of this worry of, you know, you know, sleeping on the job here or getting high on the job, whichever it is. Either way, not very good. All right. But do like the high quality of the picture here. You can mm-hmm. see all of the whiskers, including the ones that are like coming out of their eyes, which <laughs> now I know is a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, you know, I'm a little concerned about the dedication. 5.1. All right. Um, how about the next one? We've actually got a double application here. Oh, are they, are they married? Are they twins? Are they siblings are valid questions i Um, mean why would you i'm curious like why would you send an application together you just you know yeah it seems like you'd you'd have a better chance of submitting on your own when the application calls for just one one cat yeah Um, yeah i'm a little concerned about this application i don't think i can give a valid rating here uh, as i there's too many questions that are unanswered all right um this next one also might appeal to you Oh wow, that's a very, uh, very handsome-looking cat. <laughs> uh, it's a bit out of focus, though. A little out of um, focus, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm that's also that's concerned what's doing that it. they might be an imposter. What you 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 think there's a heckin' bamboozle going on here? <laughs> it's not. I'm just saying it's not impossible. We have to be wary of these sort of things for okay. the official WCA cat. You're true. You're you're totally right. We we should pass on this one. You know, right. Just not not enough details here. Uh, for anyone listening, if we don't get that photo, that one was a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and it pains me a little bit on the inside. Um, <laughs> um, looks like we have a cat in the laundry. A cat in the laundry? What are you doing in there? Get out of there. Getting hair all over my clothes? How do you expect to be the WCA cat when you're just making a mess out of everything? All right, that's all we need to know for that yeah. one. Um <laughs> Uh, then we have a tractor, very clever, um, and <laughs> a cat sleeping on the stairs. Is that a stair? I, I can't tell where this is. Yeah, it's a little. Um, confu- it's like a maybe a bench above a step. Yeah, this is very confusing. I want to see some more perspective here, and also a little, a uh, little more uh, non inaction. It's in the middle of a yawn. That's a quite an action for a cat. <laughs> is it? I think so. <laughs> I can't tell if its mouth is open or if that's just a spot on the cat. Uh, I think its mouth is open, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. What's your what's your what's your ranking here? Uh, four. We can't have this sleeping on the job. Oh, now we have a triple application for three very young cats. Yeah, I, I'm. They're they're attached to those legs. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I will say that at least two of them have uh, dressed up for the application much more than the rest of the applicants. That's true. Oh, man. Uh, I, yeah, I'm just a little concerned here about this triple application. I think I'm going to have to pass on this one. Uh, not, right. not really rateable here. Uh, we have we have this cat that was found on the street. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if we can accept a street cat who also no. didn't want to apply. Um, <laughs> You can't you can't be forcibly applied beyond your own will. I don't. I I'm very skeptical of this cat's uh, perspective future here. <laughs> uh, and we have one more, who is rolling on the floor. Rolling on the with floor the door. doesn't appear to be sleeping, but just playing. 
Um, I will note that this is a calico. That is a calico cat. I think. I might be wrong. Uh, it appears to be from its stomach, though, which is what we can see. Mm-hmm. Not, not so much else. Yeah, hard to tell if it's sleeping or playing. I'm going to guess playing, but... Yeah, it appears to be in motion. Good personality, um, but I'm a little... I'm left with, I'm left with questions. Still left with questions here. All right, and that is the end of our applicants. So is the conclusion that Cadbury is the winner? I think Cadbury is going to be the WCA cat. All right, I will speak to uh, Cadbury's agent and see if we can get a picture of Cadbury at least. I think we probably can. Um... <laughs> Well, that was silly. Let's never do that again unless there are dogs involved. You should speak to other people at the WCA to see if they can commit, create a new, like, division for the, dogs. The W-Dog. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you figure out what that stands for. Maybe we can take some listener suggestions. <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate for hating cats. Uh, I just, uh, I've had so many bad experiences with cats. Uh, like, just Maybe... So have, have you ever considered that at some point maybe you're the problem? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what have I ever done to these cats? Like, <laughs> I, I, several times I've, like, been, like, with other people's cats. And uh, they're like, oh, they're sweet. They won't do anything. And, like, I pet them and all of a sudden they, like, bite my leg off. Like... It's probably because you only care about yourself. Um, anyway. Oh. <laughs> See how it is. <laughs> definitely don't care about cats that's for sure <laughs> well those are our rankings hopefully we got some pictures in the show notes for you and hopefully that section made any sense at all without the pictures um what do you want to talk about next <laughs> uh something different <laughs> on the note of uh announcing competitions and not on the note of cats the w cat <laughs> yeah I want to talk a bit about the uh, time distance policy with uh, the WCA. Okay. So do you want to give it just a brief overview of what that is for yeah. anyone who doesn't know? So um, around 2014 or so, um, Cuban just was blowing up. I mean, it's always blowing up with just more competitions, more Cubers. Uh, you know, the, the growth is still staggering. Uh, when it was getting staggering to the point that uh, regions were just having so many competitions... Um, to account for, you know, the growth and the popularity. There were concerns, you know, that the that competitions were not competitions anymore. Um, they felt more just kind of like weekly meetups almost, <laughs> or even maybe bi-weekly, but sometimes even weekly, mm -hmm. just in slightly different cities or something like that. And the WC really had no policy that said, like, you know, you can't announce a competition this close to something else. So they, they implemented a distance policy to combat some areas that were just having so many competitions hyper-frequently to the point where, you know, you're kind of defeating the purpose of having a competition. Mm -hmm. And it becomes more of a, you know, just a meetup. And to be fair, that's what a lot of these competitions are, but they kind of lose their value in... Their, how, like the specialness of that event if you have them so frequently and also like the results you get from a competition um like if you just have a ton of competitions you're sort of just playing like the the variance game and like eventually people are going to get significantly better solves than they right. would if they had a competition less often yeah so it's a bit of a fairness issue to that extent too so they implemented a distance policy and it was a pretty strict policy at first um, where basically you couldn't have uh, two competitions within, I believe, about four weeks of each other that were within, um, oh, I forget the 
exact number, but I think it was 500 kilometers. I think that's what it started as. Yeah, I don't remember, but yeah, it I was do pretty. Remember when this was sort of like becoming a thing, I think. Yeah, and it was. I mean, 500 kilometers is pretty. It's pretty wide. That's a pretty big area. Yeah, yeah. It, it would make it where for us up here, for example, anytime Seattle has a comp, that affects when Portland can have a comp. Hmm. Yeah, that is that is quite a distance. Yeah, and, and I, I, mean, I guess maybe. I feel like it makes more sense maybe in like Europe or something. Um, I don't know if that's true though. May, but... Maybe even less sense because they have so many national borders that like yeah. if you have a competition, say like in Switzerland, it like knocks out your ability to have competitions in so many other countries. Yeah, um, that's Of true. course, in Europe, like most countries, you can freely cross borders. Switzerland's, I think, a, maybe a bit different because I don't think they're Schengen I, or the part of the the border like the open border coalition thing they have there mm-hmm. but i can't remember exactly but you know there's there's still you know country borders there and that adds logistical hurdles for many to go to those places yeah so i actually think that it probably made the most sense for the usa and less sense anywhere else just because the usa is such a wide open space yeah um, that people... i guess there are parts where you wouldn't want to have competitions that close like right or like it just it would be too close (laughs) yeah and it's it's you know it's so easy to travel that like limiting long distances makes sense here Mm -hmm. just because it's so easy to travel but i mean it caused a lot of issues where just like you know people who weren't communicating about when they had competitions previously all of a sudden had to because of this policy it definitely it got revised later to i now 21 days instead of 28 and 250 kilometers and I think that may be a touch too small, uh, but uh, I know that that could like that. Depending on certain areas with borders and things like that, that this is a tricky thing to deal with too. So mm-hmm. it's probably good to have a very loose policy. My biggest complaint about it is I think that some people see that as the absolute limit and are not like taking the suggestion to try to space things out more. So, oh, so you mean like they're making competitions that are like just on the border of the 250 right. kilometers? Right. Like they, they think of like, I think there's too many people that think of that policy as like the, what it should be and not a, like an absolute limit. And we should mention that this applies to competitions that share like the same events, really. Um, right. Yes. Because so it's can... pretty common to have like competitions that are close together, and but to have completely different events from one another. Right. Because that prevents record farming in the same event for the yeah. same people. They're fine with competitions that don't share a lot of events. Essentially, um, I got around the policy once because I had three by three as the only event at both of the competitions, mm-hmm. and like I only, only did oh. two rounds of three by three at each. Wait, it was the only event at the competition or the only No, event no, the only the shared event at the two okay, competitions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I said I'd only have two rounds of each because, you know, a competition could have four rounds. Mm-hmm. So even though it's at both, nobody can get any more than four rounds, which is possible within a comp anyways. Um, that was my justification for that. <laughs> and it worked. So there are ways around it if, you know, you have to break it for some reason. Uh, but sometimes I do notice that we often dilute the competitor pool by having so many competitions close to each other. Mm-hmm. And while it's not a bad thing to give people more options, I also think it's a 
uh, it, it is a bad thing, though, that, you know, the community is so spread out rather than getting together for big events. Because I think that big events where you can meet a lot of people are the highest quality WCA events, typically. Yeah, I, th- I think this ties into something we talked about a lot in one of the early episodes with, like, just, like, having more competitions and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, depleting the number of people at competitions and having competitions that don't totally fill up. Because um, mm-hmm. I think that in... Like in Southern California, it's uh, even when we have these competitions that are all kind of close together, they usually hit their like capacity. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't dilute it in that way, but it does give um, like a lot of chances to compete for some people. Right. And yeah, and I think that, you know, if you are filling them up, that's a good thing. I think it's also good to look at, yeah, what the overlap is among all those competitions. Yeah, you don't want to keep filling up with the same people necessarily because. Right that would then it's just the thing where you're like well the, the distance isn't that big for people who like live in between you right. know so if you just keep going on like uh, either side of say los angeles you keep going on either side of los angeles like 125 kilometers mm-hmm. and then you're good right <laughs> i think the main thing for me is that i think that a lot of places especially that ones where you, you know you either hold a ton of small competitions or mm-hmm. you try to hold big competitions that and they don't fill, that maybe you just need to do it, like, uh, spread them out a bit more. I, I think one of the biggest reasons that, you know, that we have been growing is that, you know, it, there's been, you know, events getting bigger and bigger. And I feel like the bigger the event is, the more likely it is that people come back and become part of that community because they find more mm-hmm. people like themselves. What is like then the solution then for this distance thing? Because it is obviously bad to have the distance policy be too small. I, I think small is better than, than strict. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the problem is there's no one size fits all solution. Yeah. You can't pick a number or a, a number of kilometers or some distance that's going to work everywhere across the world. Um, every country is different, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, for example, like the Philippines, which is tons of scattered islands, they're all super close to each other, but some of them don't have like easy transit from one to the other. Mm-hmm. If you use just pure distance, you know, that kills their ability to have competitions, which are close to each other, like, you know, as the bird flies, but, um, you know, no- the, the dif- difficulty of travel would limit people's ability to get to them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to limit cases like that. Um, national borders are a huge thing, too. Um, I just don't think that there's ever a one size fits all approach just because distance in different countries has, you know, different meanings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a car driven country like the U.S., a large distance is not a huge deal compared to many other countries which aren't as car-centric as us. Although they often have other kinds of transportation that can... Right, but it usually takes around. longer to do it. So mm-hmm. there's like the, there, there's more time distance between mm-hmm. the two areas and how long it takes to get there. I, don't, I, th- I think that we're in the right spot. I think that we need to have delegates who, though, judiciously set their own limits. I think it's important to, you know, consider what's best for your community and that having a ton of competitions, if they're all, you know, under not filled and super small and things like that, you probably need to reconsider what you're doing. Yeah, makes sense. The other face of this, too, is not just distance policy about announcing competitions, but when you announce competitions, 
by the regulations, and this isn't the regulation of the day, but maybe it should have been, um, <laughs> the, um, the regulations require you to announce competitions uh, with at least two weeks' notice and suggest in the guidelines that it should be four weeks' notice. Now, in practice, if you want to announce anything within four weeks, um, you have to have a very good reason. doing so like waiting on venue details or uh you know something of that nature like or like the venue couldn't be reserved or known until this point you know something Mm -hmm. like that so there's definitely good reasons for doing it but i sometimes again sort of like the distance policy i think that people treat the four weeks as a limit and not a you know like the this is yeah. like the worst case scenario that you announce. Yeah, like, like obviously this. it's better to submit a competition way earlier than that so that you can right have it known for a while. Yeah, exactly. Because um, if people want to travel, uh, especially, I mean, obviously want to serve your local community and make sure that they can go to competitions. But if people want to travel, you know, from mm-hmm. other places where they fly to that competition, they probably want to know like three months in advance at least. Yeah, I, th- I think especially for. Like, there have been uh, a few comps that I've organized, a couple, that we've announced after, like, the four weeks, um, mm-hmm. or at least, or, like, made changes to after the four weeks that required, like, new approval kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, like, for the West Coast Cubing Tour, um, we basically, like, upgraded our venue to a way bigger thing after, like, seeing how much interest there was in it, in it and, like, actually having this new venue become available. So mm-hmm. we changed the venue, like, within, a, like, a couple weeks out. Yeah, but usually usually I have found myself, like, just because of the way, like, you don't feel the pressure to, you know, organize these things until you actually have a deadline approaching. So I feel like that is part of why people often end up, like, just announcing a month in advance. Right. Uh, and I've definitely done that myself, which, yeah, I, I now I try to get these things organized as far in advance as possible, but it is hard to do when you don't have that deadline uh, yeah. pressuring you into it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's, it's an issue of perspective, just like the distance policy, where I think that there should be a more of a culture of trying to get things out as soon as you know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's good for the competition, because more people will be able to attend it. And, you know, other other people are more easily able to make travel plans rather than have to figure them out last minute, or maybe something has already come up for them that they could have avoided if they had known. So I'm a big proponent of, you know, even in, you know, changing the regulations from must two weeks and should four weeks to maybe even must four weeks and should six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, are you really going to announce a competition with just two weeks notice? Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) How can anyone plan for that unless they live, like, you know, 30 minutes away? Mm-hmm. I, I'm working on, I don't know how much I should say, say about it, because we don't really have any details finalized yet. Mm-hmm. But we have a competition that we think that a lot of people are going to want to travel to come to. Mm. Um, I can tell you maybe more about it after the podcast, but I don't want to say anything okay. on the record, you know? Um, okay. But we're probably going to try to announce it, like, nine or ten months in advance or something, because... It's the sort of thing that we think a lot of people are going to want to make travel plans for. Yeah, that's more in advance than Nationals is usually announced. <laughs> that's true. Maybe maybe not quite that much, but we're, we're going for far in advance. Right, yeah. Okay, I'm intrigued. But yeah, the main thing, I personally think there should be a push to get competition, competitions announced soon because I do think there is this sort of uh, you know laziness procrastination issue where people see it as that's the due date for 
getting your competition announced without thinking of, you know, how that affects the competition and, you know, how it could have been better if it were just announced sooner. So uh, last week, there was sort of an unofficial Fewest Moves competition in the Fewest Moves Facebook group. Yeah, uh, I saw I, are that. You, were you aware of this? I yeah. was aware of it. I definitely did not have the time to participate, but it looked interesting. Yeah, so Rob Yao organized it, um, basically just posted five scrambles, and you could form a team of five with anyone. It was kind of like preferably from your same country so that we could have like country uh, defined teams. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't really any strict limits on it. It was just like you have five people do these five scrambles, you have a whole week, there are no time limits. And it was really fun. But it was also like super, like it, it went from the sort of thing where it was like, oh yeah, I could like use, like, you know, whenever I have free time, I'll just, you know, spend a bit of it working on that. And then it changed from that to like, we must spend all of our free time working on this. <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah. what? even the time that is not free must become free. <laughs> right. And that's why it's, I really prefer FMC with a timeline. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's if I do it again in the future, which they're considering like doing this, uh, maybe like monthly or something, I'm not going to take it as seriously as I did this week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was, cool. I was very surprised at how good the results were. Yeah. I'm, my team came in second place. We got a 23.0 mean of five. Uh, the first place team got a 22.6 mean of five. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the scrambles were pretty tough. I don't I don't know. It's hard to compare because it's like you're not used to having that long to work on them. Uh, well, but I felt is, like... The, the quality of scramble for this kind of FMC is different than when you do an hour time limit FMC. Right. Yeah, because on this, it was like... I, for all of the uh, scrambles, I found like a 27 or 28 solution sub-hour. Mm-hmm. So none of them were, were particularly difficult in that respect. Right. But as far as, like, trying to get something better, um, it was just really hard to find. Like, there was a few good skeletons you could find. We had that. But in general, our insertions just kept being really average. Like, yeah. Like, we would get, like, I, on, uh, okay, I mean, so just to give you some context for how much work we did. I'm going to have you guess. Um, so we started out with a Google Doc with five pages, right? One per scramble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, writing with the, whatever the default font is, I guess, 11-point Arial font. Yeah. Um, how many pages do you think our doc was by the end? And this um, could backfire on me and be one of those things where you, like, guess a number that's way too high and then it seems yeah. less impressive. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess about, like, 55. Uh, that's pretty close. I think it was like 48 or 49. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I, get, I can imagine that you had a ton of notes going on. In that. Yeah, we had just page after page of like skeletons. And everyone sort of adopted my system for notation for FMC or like the way you write it down on the page, which is like a branching um, thing. So like if you if you have a certain start, you write that. And then in any continuations you write are indented underneath it. And that works really well in a shared thing because you can easily follow everything that's going on. And it's really easy to check if some start has been tried or whatever. So, yeah, but we just had this in the document was just sprawling and most of it was insertions. Like we would like write down a skeleton and be like, all right, I'm going to check this. And we had different like notes we would write. Like we would write check insert next to it if if something needed to have the insertions checked and we didn't have time to do it at that moment or whatever. And I think on Scramble 2, we tried more than 60 skeletons or more than 70, I think. Oh, my God. And because <laughs> we, we so. We managed to get all the... The first one, I found a 21 on it. Well, uh, I found a skeleton for a 21. Uh, Carter Kukala did the insertions. Yeah, that that one was the easiest one. I think even we had that probably within an hour or two. Um, Mm -hmm. We had a 21. 
and that was at first i found a nine move skeleton to seven edges yeah um which was ridiculous and i inserted that one on my own and got a 24 mm-hmm. and then we tried this other skeleton i had which was like 13 to four edges four corners and i found a way to turn it into i think i think it like inserting a move and canceling a move to turn it into 14 to five edges or to five edges okay so then carter uh then carter inserts a five cycle of edges to bring it to 20 to three edges and then cancels nine out of ten moves on his last insertion what so like that was the only lucky insertion we had pretty much throughout the entire thing um or at least the only ridiculously lucky insertion yeah and i mean you kind of forced that luck though yeah you kept rearranging you, you didn't i mean a lot of times when people insert you just make very forward moves towards solved yeah, you had a couple yeah. lateral steps going on no, there. Oh, our the, some uh our other skeletons like we've done some crazy things. There was one where on scramble two, I found a twelve moves to something like four edges, two corners, mm-hmm. and then we inserted one move to turn it into like thirteen to three edges, five corners, and then inserted one move again to turn it back into four edges, two corners, but canceled one. So now it was like a th- thirteen to four edges. Uh, four edges, two corners. So it was like the same skeleton, just to move longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. If we didn't really find anything on that one, though. But yeah, our insertions <laughs> just like it was like they just went in circles, and it was like yeah. every skeleton just turned into a bunch of different other like worse, better. Uh, it's hard to tell right. skeletons. And this is stuff that you never have time to try in an hour. No, timeline. definitely not. Like, and that's what's kind of weird about this. And I kind of don't think I would ever really care to do it. I find it think it's interesting that people enjoy it, and maybe it would make you better at normal FMC to see like what, you know, what are all of the branches you could potentially. Yeah, try. no, I actually think I think that it helps me learn a couple of things. I, it's hard to quantify exactly what, but I do feel like I'll I'll be slightly better at FMC after doing this. But yeah, Carter is actually he turned out to be like an insertion god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like he, I found most of the skeletons. Me, uh, Chris Chi and I found most of our skeletons, and then Carter inserted most of them. Weird. So yeah, on, on Scramble 2, we had like all of those skeletons, and the one we eventually got a 22 on mm-hmm. was, I found it pretty early on, we tried a bunch of stuff but never found anything, mm-hmm. uh, and Carter went back to it later and found this crazy insertion, so yeah. it, it was it was another 9 move skeleton, it was 9 moves to, I want to say 5 edges, 4 corners. Okay. Um, Chris Chi inserted 1 move and cancelled 2 moves to <laughs> turn it into 8 moves to... Uh, six edges some amount of corners i don't remember exactly or maybe less edges I, I don't know he turned it into something else by inserting a move and canceling two moves um basically just deleting a move from our skeleton uh, right and he was like hey it's it's a new thing if you delete this move um yeah. and then carter reverse nist at a point in that skeleton and it basically had an f12 minus one solved and he found like just a 14 move finish to get a last layer skip. So it was just ridiculous. <laughs> Alrighty then. This was the scramble that we had tried like 70 skeletons on. So of those 70, I'd say like 20 of them, 20 to 30 of them came from this starting skeleton. Because <laughs> we, we were trying like 15 to 5 edges several times. We found a few 19 to 3 corners. It was. It just gave a ton of different continuations, right? Uh, and then he just turned out to find like f- insert fourteen moves and <laughs> yeah. And for those who are less familiar with FMC, um, insertions to an extent are definitely a skill, but they're you're also just kind of limited by luck too. Yeah, and that's what kind of makes this thing kind of weird. Is that 
Um, you can find like a really good skeleton in a few moves, but especially when you have a whole week to look for it, you're hunting for skeletons that just have really uh, lucky insertions. Yeah, so and it's not a matter anyone... of like skill to find the better ones. There typically just is a best one, and that whatever that best one is is up to random chance. Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know, a skeleton is like it solves most of the cube, but not some of the pieces, right. and then you go back in your solution and try to add moves that solve those pieces, basically. Yep. Um, I know that one of the other groups. Um, what's his name? Uh, Bai, Bai Cheng Dong, something oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. The guy who invented insertion finder. He was on one of the teams, and he found a 23 to three corners mm-hmm. and then inserted, you know, a normal eight-move commutator for those three corners and canceled eight, so he ended up with a 23 on that one. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. Wow. That That's the sort of thing that can happen with insertions. You can find a skeleton that is th- 23 moves and then end up with a final solution that is 23 moves. <laughs> Most of the time, you end up with like twenty nine. But yeah, that would I would I would expect a twenty nine out of that. But, yeah, you know it happens. Yeah, <laughs> live and die by the insertions. <laughs> yeah, so this was a really interesting experience. Um, ended up putting a lot of time into it, and mm-hmm. it was just yeah, it was it was interesting how difficult it was to find like really good solutions. You know, you sort of think that. If you look long enough, you're going to find something that gets the good insertion that cancels or just, a like, lot. Find an LL skip or something. Yeah, if you're spending yeah. that much time. But we didn't really do that, and it was kind of like right at the end that Carter found that one last layer skip insertion. Right. Uh, kind of both like a lucky insertion and a last layer skip at the same time. Yeah, and and then other than that, uh, the solutions that we had for like scrambles four and five which were a 25 and a 24, those just stood for a long time because we couldn't find anything better. Just nothing could beat them, despite having some skeletons that definitely felt like they should have. Right. And on Scramble 3, so Walker was also on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't. He was really busy that week, though, so he only worked on it on, like, the last day. Yeah. Um, and on 23, we had a 25 that we had been trying to... Sorry, on Scramble 3, we had a 25 that we had been trying to beat for a really long time, and we just gave up on it, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Walker, the very first thing he tries... He finds a um, 16 move skeleton to like four edges, two ed- two e two e, and then Carter does an insertion like right after th- right after he finds it, and he cancels one on a uh, eight move insertion to get a 23. So it was like it was like this is why Walker's the world record holder. He just like comes into the scramble that we've been working on for a week, and first thing like he the finds. very first yeah. <laughs> But to be fair, like, the thing he found was not, like, a normal solution. I don't even know why he tried it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it was the first thing he found. Maybe he has, like, insane prediction skills, but yeah. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, so, and I think that for me, in terms of practicing FMC, I feel like I get a lot of this because most of the time I do FMC, I'm on a Discord call with other people. Mm-hmm. So I get to see like other people's solutions, but I do see the value in seeing like if you had unlimited time, what you could find. Uh, yeah, I just think at a certain point it becomes unproductive, at least for real FMC. Like when you're just tweaking with these short skeletons with lots of pieces left to solve. Yeah, I think that having the ability to do a skeleton like that quickly is really useful. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to do them quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah, like on the first one, I found that seven edge skeleton in probably like 10 minutes. And I think that I definitely could have had my 24 sub hour on that. The other insertion, though, took a lot longer. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do it because I don't really know how to do five cycles of edges. 
Carter mm-hmm. does. So I wouldn't have really been able to do that without him on my team. Right. Um, but yeah, that, so it's the sort of thing where it's like there, there are useful skills to learn, but most of it is just spamming a ton of solutions until something works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it definitely sounds fun. I don't know if I'd really want to do that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. um, definitely intriguing. And it, it, it led me to sort of come up with this analogy for fewest moves that I think is a is a pretty good analogy for what the event is. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like you are a miner like going down into the FMC mines every day, mm-hmm. you know, toiling for hours. You never know if you're actually going to find anything. Yeah. And eventually, like, you hit some, like, you know, a nugget of gold or a, or maybe a whole vein, and you're rich. Mm-hmm. But also there are days when you just come back and you found nothing at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's That's what Fewest Moves is. <laughs> I, I think that doing fewest moves is fairly like you know it's pretty much equivalent to like the manual labor of working in a mine, and yeah, just hunting for hunting aimlessly for the the right thing. You can be skilled at having a, an idea of where you're going, yeah, but yeah. it may not really be the best way to go. And then sometimes some like you know someone who has no experience at all just hits like a world record. I, I mean gold on their first try, uh, and. <laughs> We're not talking about anyone in particular, are we? <laughs> and then someone brings their own gold into the mine and <laughs> pretends to find... It. Wait, sorry. No, okay. Hold on. That's something else. That doesn't uh, quite... That, that analogy I don't think works very well. <laughs> but yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. Next time I do it, I'm not going to actually spend that much time on it. It'll mm-hmm. probably just be something that I actually try to do in my spare time rather than making extra time for it. Uh, right. Yeah. Totally. I, I know that uh, Harry Savage... What like I heard that he was like staying up all night or something working on it, and he was on the winning team, so I guess it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the other thing too is that like everyone has very varying time commitments. Yeah, like I think it would be kind of cool if this were like a sort of a, if you I mean if assuming that FMC were something that people actually cared about, if you had this <laughs> sort of as like a marathon thing. Mm-hmm. Where you had a bunch of scrambles, a team to work on them, and you had maybe not a week, but, you know, say, you know, 12 hours or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you just spent the whole day hacking away at them. You didn't have other, com- you, like, planned out this time as an event. You didn't have other commitments to worry about. You just all got together and worked for those 12 hours. Yeah, I think that would be a good format for it. Right. If it were to ever be done as yeah. like, a more official event. Right. Uh, and I not, think it's fine. not like official in terms of like FMC or like WCA official, but just like in terms of like, a, you know, an organized thing. But yeah, I mean, not that anyone I think would ever really care to do that, but I would. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kit, what, what's, this is unrelated to what we were just talking about entirely. Um, what are your opinions on first comments? First. You know, people. Yeah, that kind of comment. First, (laughs) um, what do you think about them? Um, Do I get to be first to give my opinion? No. So what I think (laughs) about them is, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing where, you know, you get to a video or a post or something before other people do. And you you can be like, you know, that's not necessarily an accomplishment, but it's not also a everyday occurrence like you know it takes a certain amount of luck or dedication to get to something before other people do and personally i don't really see the harm in like just saying first like people can just ignore it 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 also is helpful i will say as a content creator quote unquote that 
engagement on a video or something right away for these algorithmic systems is i don't know how helpful but it's got to do something to help like make the video yeah be more successful and i presume the motivation for it is um either useless attention or if the person actually has like a budding youtube channel for practical attention yeah Um, yeah i'm not as big a fan of it if it's like first check out my channel yeah Uh, that's kind of lame but I think that by putting yourself first on a very popular video, people are naturally going to click links to go through to your channel. Maybe. It's, I mean, especially if it's a big YouTuber, you know? Oh, yeah, that's true. There's always the sort of thing where, like, you know, How To Basic or whatever was doing a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's, like, a big YouTuber just comments on everything first so that their comment gets seen by everyone and people, like, sort of, like, learn who they are just by seeing their name. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, um, so I think there's that element of it to some degree, but yeah. I'm talking more about just, like, in general, like, a, any random person. Like, there's always sort of the little competition to see who can comment first on something. Yeah. Uh, what, do you th- what do you think of yeah. it? I, I don't think it, it's, it? I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't mind it so much. It gets a little annoying when people are just, like, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Yeah, that, if that, it goes on for a while, you know. Yeah, then it gets a little annoying, like... Uh, the thing that annoys me more in terms of like pointless comments is on Facebook when people comment following. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of a failure of Facebook's design, I would say, because there is a feature where you can like turn on a notif- notifications for a post if you want to exactly. hear about something. But um, there, it's not going to always notify you about everything on that post. For instance, if you want to hear about comments in a specific comment thread, you kind of have to comment within that comment thread. There's no way to turn on notifications for a comment thread. Yes, that's true. But yeah, that is pretty annoying when people just do that without knowing that there is a built-in function for it. Right. Yeah, if, especially if, I mean, if you do it on a comment thread, like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you can't turn on com- a notifications for that. But it's, when people do it for the main comment thread, like, yeah. <laughs> first There's comment a- following, like... Yeah, there, there's a button for that. Right. I mean, that's. I would be less annoyed if they just were the first comment and said first. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I would be so, way less annoyed by that. Just because they're at least they're being witty or something. Like, by saying following, you're showing that you don't understand that this feature exists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought of that when I saw someone, like, commenting first or something in our subreddit. Um, oh. And I was like, I don't have a problem with this, you know? I just wanted to... Because I feel like it's the sort of thing that there's, you know, there's often a lot of backlash towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to give my, for the record, to state that I, as one of the people on this show, don't mind if you do it, uh, as long as it's not excessive. <laughs> Are you going to comment first on the next uh, I should. Note? I have access to these things as soon as they're uploaded. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it if I remember to, but there's a good chance I won't. In which what? case, somebody else, whoever does comment first, after actually listening, should tell me. Like tag tag my username i don't know how reddit works but an hour plus into the podcast yeah (laughs) now you're finally gonna comment first (laughs) the comment thread's been up for at least bare minimum an hour yeah since you've started listening listening. at like two times speed or something yeah maybe but (laughs) i i cannot imagine my voice sounding great on two times speed there's some people that make that sound really good on accelerated speeds my one of my stats professors in uh, undergrad recorded their lectures mm-hmm. um and her voice was perfect for 1.5 speed because she was just so deliberate in how she talked that it was like perfect 
I actually edit these podcasts in two times speed. Mm-hmm. So I, I know a little bit of what we sound like. In the oh, episode. really? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that bad, but <laughs> part of the reason I cut out a lot of pauses and stuff is because it makes it much more listenable for me at that speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like for the final version of our things, they could actually be fairly listenable at 2x speed uh but there are definitely parts where i go through it i'm like i have no idea what either of us just said <laughs> and i have to like slow it down to listen to it so i can actually edit it yeah because otherwise it kind of just sounds like this when you're listening <laughs> hey andrew try to listen to this on two times speed oh no you're gonna <laughs> ruin my life while i'm editing this <laughs> It's hard to think that fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you can hear stuff that fast, but I, I, and I can speak that fast, but I can't form words that make sense that fast. Right. <laughs> have you, this, this is, have you ever, like, caught your, I, I feel like we've talked about this, maybe, I don't know, but do you ever, like, think, hear yourself, like, thinking in your head and realize you have a fully formed thought that you've already, like, processed, but your brain continues, like, saying the sentence to you anyway? Does that ever happen to you? I think so. Can you say that phenomenon one more time? <laughs> so it's like you have a thought. Something occurs to you. Yeah. And your brain starts like saying the sentence. It's like, oh, I'm hungry. But mm-hmm. you already know that. Like it's your brain doesn't have to say the sentence. And if you don't think the words, you still know what you were thinking. But your oh, yeah, brain yeah. just like continues like saying the thing to you anyway. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I understand what you're putting down. I think that I, I don't know. To maybe me. I'm just like weird about thinking about my thoughts. But <laughs> like I I often get annoyed when I'm like trying to have like think about something and I'm like why am I thinking about this so slowly? Like every thought I'm having is already fully processed by the time like my brain says the words, but I, for some reason I can't think like I can't force myself to move on from a thought even though I already know what it is before mm-hmm. I've thought the whole thought. This doesn't make any sense, but it's it's like imagine you know how the sentence is going to end, and you don't have to think of how it's going to going to end. Like you don't have to listen to me saying it. If you already, I'm gonna tell you. Okay, the end of my next sentence is going to be, uh, it's I mean I'm going to say there is an elephant. Okay, that's how I'm gonna finish the next sent. Like that's gonna be the entire next sentence. Okay, there is. Uh, I don't have to finish the rest, right? You know what I'm gonna say. That's what happens in my brain. I, like, cut myself off like that. I'm like, I already mm. know what the end of this thought is. Stop thinking it. But then I spend time thinking about that, so it doesn't actually make me think quicker. It's just I end up thinking instead about how I shouldn't be thinking as much. Interesting. <laughs> okay. I don't. Th- okay, I don't think that's happened to me, but that's interesting. <laughs> try, try thinking about it. Like, next time you notice yourself having a thought where you're, like, thinking words out loud oh, or inside your head... Stop. Try just like that. stopping the sentence and seeing if you still know what you were gonna say or what you were gonna think. Okay, man, I'm gonna get in in, in my head so much. Now. <laughs> I'm now gonna be thinking too much about the voice in my head. Yeah, why did you put this, this is... on me? <laughs> I don't I, need this I, responsibility. I have problems with thinking. <laughs> I'm sorry to spread them to you. <laughs> Uh, I'll figure. I'll, I'll, okay, I'll see if I'll see how that works for me. I don't know if I. I don't know if that's something I'll. I my mind. Or that's how my mind works. But we'll see. I'm curious to know if anyone else who's listening, if if you haven't done this already and now you're starting to, I'm sorry. 
but I'm also <laughs> curious to hear if anyone listening has thought of the same thing. Why are we talking about this? I don't know. We were talking about um, first. Oh, right. <laughs> it's like like I want to be first to the end of my thoughts in my own brain. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how we got here, but that, that was quite an adventure. <laughs> I, there was uh, an old episode of Hello Internet where someone made like a graph of what they talked about in the episode. Because mm-hmm. it was an episode kind of like this where they just meandered all over the place yeah. for several hours. Um <laughs> So someone made like a graph of of all the different topics that related to each other, and it was very interesting. <laughs> I can imagine that. Simpsons episodes kind of have that similar vibe to them. Yeah, it's been a while like, since I've watched it. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I haven't watched newer ones, but I know like the older ones I used to watch like had that sort of vibe where it starts out like on some random topic, 15 minutes pass, and you completely forget what even happened at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> and then they occasionally like circle it back in in the last 30 seconds and then you're like what just happened yeah i mean that's that's kind of like a brilliant thing to do in comedy because like if you can make a callback to something that someone's forgotten about yeah like like all of comedy is kind of about just being unexpected exactly yeah um so if you can set something up really early and then have it pay off way later Mm -hmm. it's gonna pay off so much more because it's unexpected yeah totally first Today's reg of the day is interesting. Well, actually, no. The reg is not particularly interesting, but an incident that happened recently makes it fairly interesting. So this reg is 4B3, uh, and the way this reg reads is uh, it defines the specification for a scramble program. Um, An official scramble sequence must produce a random state from those that require at least two moves to solve equal probability for each state. Does this... Is this, um, this isn't for every event, is it? No, there there are additions and exceptions that apply beneath. And the one that will be most relevant to us is 4B3C, which is skewed. The random state must require at least seven moves to solve. Okay. So first, I want to talk about this. And I, I teach statistics, so I know that this is a huge misconception. There is a difference between random and equiprobable. Right, yeah, I've actually, I've read about this before so i'll let you talk about it and i might be able to add some insightful comments or maybe i mean you probably know way more than i do but yeah go ahead so (laughs) yeah the the thing about the word random is it has a statistical meaning and it also has a colloquial meaning we describe things as oh that's so random or um you know that was a random thing to happen you know it, it kind of has this meaning of sort of unexpected out of nowhere um has connotations that basically imply anything can happen and as a result those colloquial beliefs leak into how we think about it statistically some people don't think that a un, a non-random or think that somehow like if you are doing a selection where you're more likely to have certain outcomes than others that suddenly it's not random anymore that random needs to be equiprobable yeah but in but it's perfectly acceptable have something where it is random like even if 99 percent of the time you're getting the same result Mm -hmm. as long as there's a small chance of it hitting some other result and there's not like a way to predict that other result Mm -hmm. then it's still random it's just random with a weighted probability exactly like when airlines are you know accounting for passengers on a flight and overbook their seats assuming that people will no show they have a, a percentage chance for every passenger that they'll actually show up at the airport 
And, you know, it's still a random process, you know, if you're trying to simulate what might happen on a given flight. Yeah, like, obviously, in the real world, everything is not really random, but chaotic, except maybe on, like, the quantum level, but yeah, <laughs> it's effectively random, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm talking, I'm talking about trying to, like, sim for, like, airlines that are trying to project to future flights. Right, yeah. And they're, like, simulating what might happen based on previous data. That's a random process, but you probably have, you know, a 3 or 4% chance of no-showing compared to... 90 some percent that you do show that's still mm -hmm. random it's just not equiprobable definitely stupid to say 50 percent chance that a person shows <laughs> and 50 percent chance they don't yeah <laughs> um yeah so that's one thing and that's why this regulation says not just produce a random state but also equal probability for each state that's not redundant right. that's actually specifying not only is it random but it's also equiprobable Mm -hmm. And recently there was uh, a few competitions that this did not occur from, uh, this, for, where this didn't for occur. For Skube, right? For Skube. And this is about the most esoteric, weirdest thing I've ever seen with our Scrambler program. Yeah, it is It is really weird. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> mind-blowingly crazy... I barely understand what happened. Yeah, it is such a random occurrence. Like, I mean... Yeah, like, I can't believe they figured this out. <laughs> Did you catch my colloquial use of the word random there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, all, I'm also, it's 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 astounding to me how people can notice something like this and then, right. like, figure out the cause of it. Right, okay, so let's talk about what this thing is rather than be amazed at it. Um, Whoa. So, Whoa. Um, <laughs> for several competitions... Whoa. Whoa. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> For several competitions, the skewed scrambler as part of T-Noodle noodle was not working correctly. And the reason this was discovered is that um, skewed scrambles are designed in a way such that they always produce an 11-move scramble. Uh, the reason we do this is because short sequences... Like, if anyone caught a quick glimpse, like, one-second glimpse of the scramble sheet, which, you know, might not even be malicious, just could happen accidentally, they'd be able to see very easily which ones are the easier ones by optimal move count and which ones are harder ones. You know, a solver in the program is never going to always solve the most optimal way, but it's going to find a relatively optimal solution. Um, as a result, that could give information as to, you know, how easy or hard the scramble is. So, yeah, especially for something like two by two, like, oh yeah, the scrambler is always going to like, if there's a four move solution, the scrambler's like probably going to find that and then just give that to you as the scrambler as the scramble. If you don't have any other limitations on it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Exactly. Cause it'll find that solution very quickly. So we force though, most of our scrambling program to make sure that even if it is like a four move solution on two by two that you get the same number of moves to scramble mm -hmm. so skew works similarly they're all 11 moves because god's number for a skew is 11 uh the issue is somebody was peeking through the scrambles in the database and some of them weren't 11 moves how did that happen let me I tell you. <laughs> I actually didn't know that part of it. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just like the distribution got messed up, and I didn't. Well, I didn't actually know how they caught it. So I'm interested. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So um, I'm going to try my best to explain this. 
Um, and I'm going to do this at a very, very high level because I don't really understand exactly how this happened. But okay, so as part of the regulations, there cannot be a scramble sequence with seven or fewer moves. And basically, as far as I understand it, there when you run these programs to generate scrambles, they use threads, which are, as I, as I understand it, I'm not a computer science person, but I assume that threads are like different processes happening simultaneously. Yeah, so it's, uh, from what I understand, it's basically like your computer can do multiple things at the same time. Right, and that's the idea of threading. Yeah, so if you thre- if it's something is multi-threaded, then it's doing multiple things at the same time, makes it more efficient to run on your computer so it doesn't have to do one thing after the other. Exactly, yes. So, and T-Noodle works with threading, so it'll um, have multiple functions going on simultaneously. And one of the things the way it was designed was to ensure um, that the um scrambles don't have a solution of six moves or less so the way that it worked is um it would just pick a random state any random state of the skew then it would attempt to solve that skew state in exactly 11 moves but then what it did is it tried to find a solution as well that was under six moves yeah because for especially small puzzles, it's pretty quick to find an optimal solution. Like if you ever used Cube Explorer, it can run through like just, I don't know, it's not brute force, but like mm-hmm. even if it was just brute force, it can pretty quickly run through up to like six or seven moves or whatever. It just goes through them real fast and sees if there's any solutions. So basically though, there was this other variable called solution length. And this was the variable that got checked to see if it could be done in six moves or less. Okay. The problem was that sometimes scrambles that were seven moves or longer, um, if they were valid scrambles, this number should have been 11. Right. Because what the program then does is take the first 11 moves. like Because it's 11, it'll say, okay, I need these 11 moves. Let's put them in there. What happens, though, for some unexplicable reason, usually due to high threading, sometimes it just won't find a solution in this requested amount of moves. And then a different number besides 11 gets stored there. Maybe like eight or nine. Oh, so it's so it's basically like if if it if it requests this solution there, mm-hmm. but it can't find one in eleven, it just gives another one. Yeah, and then and this, it'll, this only it, happens in this only happens when there's a lot of threads because it takes time sometimes to find an eleven move solution, and it might not have found it yet, but it might have requested that number. It has something to do with the fact that when you have a lot of different threads running that is like if you're running a huge competition and have to generate tons of scramble sets that somehow the skew solver function in tnoodle was not working correctly under multiple threading because it was picking out some number that didn't match 11 <laughs> okay. and what would happen then when it printed or like moved the final scrambles that actually made it through that aren't too short they would take those, put them on the sheet, generate the images, but it'd be done by taking the first solution length number of moves. And if solution length wasn't 11, it might only take nine or eight moves, mm-hmm. for example. So you end up oh, with a so different wait, state. Wait, wait, so it would give you, say, so it basically it generates an 11 move solution or it's 11 move scramble, mm-hmm. but then only actually prints and applies the first seven or eight moves. Right, whatever solution length happened to be. The good news is that all the scrambles had a a second security check done on them. So it was not possible, say, if an 11-move scramble got truncated to an 8-move scramble, 
it wasn't possible for it to accidentally be a sub six optimal yes. yeah it didn't have there was no way you could solve that eight move scramble in six, six moves optimal because it checked it again and would throw it out if you could okay so the way it checked still um would reject the truncated scrambles so we never broke the regulation of um having cube scrambles with optimal length six or fewer but um, it did break the regulation 4b3, which you have here, which, yes. is, which specifies equal probability for each state, yes. which it no longer has. Yes, exactly. Because now it, there's this likelihood of truncating, longer solutions, those that, have, that take a longer amount of moves to solve, are less likely now. Because they could get truncated, and a 9-move scramble clearly has a 9-move solution. Yeah. So any states with 10 or 11 moves are now suddenly a lot less likely, simply because of this truncation. This was probably one of the weirdest incidents and weirdest T-Noodle updates I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I somehow we figured this out, and we, in about a day or two, figured out the patch to fix this out. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess if you know what you're looking for, like, if you know what the problem is, it's probably pretty easy to think, like, oh, this could be what goes what went wrong. Nobody knew what the problem is, though, when they saw this. We, we had no clue what was going wrong. Huh. I mean, we knew that we were getting solutions that weren't 11 moves. I mean, people at first suspected that somehow, like, the text file when we submitted results got corrupted and, like, dropped moves somehow. And changed the images, too? <laughs> well, the images don't get stored to the WCA oh, database, okay. just the move sequences. Any place that, like, Cubing China that shows scramble images regenerates them based on the, the scramble. Okay, okay. So, kind of weird. Um, I know there's been issues, too, because, like, people suspected text issues, because I think there was one um, scramble um, that got found in the database that had, like, some random letter in it. I oh, can't yeah. remember what the letter was. <laughs> I think it was K. Yes, it was a K. I, I, re I remember seeing someone post something about a K. <laughs> yeah, like there was an official scramble in our database that had a K move in it, which is <laughs> nonsensical. It's you just that's your Killaminx move. You grab, right. you switch to Killaminx at that point and start scrambling Killaminx. Yeah. Well, they figured out the cause of it. Um, it had to do, I believe, with um international keyboard translations. Huh. <laughs> that somehow like pe someone opened up the file with all the scrambles in it and like because they were using like a russian or some other language keyboard it turned i think one of the letters that sounds like an actual <laughs> turn letter in russian to a k that's such a weird thing yeah so <laughs> apparently it only affected that letter for some reason um these yeah these are the things that you would never think happen with like these huge systems but i guess this is why there's so many people who are like software engineers yeah <laughs> like just weird random stuff happens <laughs> yeah and like i totally encourage people if you have the ability to understand code like the fact that this sort of thing happens with skew and like we only discovered it like four years after the event became official like if you're a programmer i encourage you to peer through like t-noodle like yeah. <laughs> find stuff in it there who knows there might be some really strange things happening that are unintended that probably don't make a huge difference but you know are there <laughs> and yeah and it's it's all uh is it it's like all open to for anyone to see right yes yeah the the code's open source it's on github um i believe if you look at the t noodle page on the wca website it shows you the github where it's all located 
people use the tea noodle scramblers as part of like their cube timers so it's all available but uh yeah i mean if you want to you know give yourself a fun exercise like and you have the knowledge to do that like take a look through that stuff it's pretty cool yeah i i guess this does sort of bring up another topic Mm -hmm. which not like one from our list but just in um what do you think of having like random state scrambles where with like equiprobability because if you think about it like in real life if you gave a puzzle to someone to mix up there's no way they're actually going to hand it back to you with an equal probability for every state oh no way Um, just because applying a sequence of like however many random moves they do is never gonna give you that equal distribution yeah i mean certain states are just closer to solved than others yeah so so in some sense and have different levels of connections to other states yeah so so it's like in some sense the wca like their scrambles are very different from what or well not very different but they are different from like a sort of real life situation uh, if there is such a thing with rubik's cubes yeah Um, i i kind of think you can go either way which is why i don't really mind that there are some events that don't have that um quote-unquote random state like now i'm conscious about calling it that but yeah that is the term that tends to be used random Mm -hmm. state versus random move so i'm just going to use those terms because people know what they mean i know but if you think about it actually random state could be a hand scramble (laughs) yeah (laughs) um if you consider your hands as being like a consistent random generation it just might generate certain scrambles more likely over the others that's still random but it's still random uh, yeah. But in any case, I'm going to use the terms random state to refer to... Equiprobable random. Equiprobable random, yeah. So, th- yeah, that's why I don't really mind that there are things that where it's like we can't really do an, a random state scramble, because I'm like, realistically, no one can. <laughs> yeah, no one can without, like, the aid of a computer, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for 5x5 five five and Megaminx, and we only actually are able to access a small amount of even some of the possibility space for those. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it is better to have it with this equiprobability random state? Um, so one thing I, there's certain puzzles that I definitely think it should. So if you look at random move generations and the EO states that they create on a three by three, it's not a balanced set of EO or like uh, they just looked at like number of bad edges from every angle. And there's certain states of EO that are preferred over others and um a random move generator would help zz solvers over random state so this is why we need to use random move generators this (laughs) (laughs) right you would prefer it um also square one if you've ever used a random move generator for square one um you'll notice that the probability of parity is much below 50 percent um simply because um, there's not many permutations or like shapes because basically you need to create some sort of way that you do an odd permutation on a square one by rotating one of the two faces mm-hmm. and not many of the the cube shapes or one of the layers of the cube shapes actually has a way that you can change the parity by slicing it across a different way oh yeah that makes sense so as a result random move often just won't ever make it to those shapes and if you solve it in the natural way, which most like simple cube shape solutions don't go through those states, mm-hmm. they don't ever get into a parity state. Okay. So square one, it's so necessary to have random state. Um, as otherwise, I, mean, I, I don't know if I would necessarily say it's necessary because one, like again, 
if someone were to just scramble it like without a computer, then like you could consider that to be a fair distribution. Um, True. And just have parity be more of an edge case. Yeah, because a random move, <laughs> technically random move scramblers are random state. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does produce a state randomly, just not equa probably. Um, but I do think that there is, like, it's hard to describe this, but there's like a co- colloquial thing where like people don't accept hand scrambles as like their PBs or whatever. And I think that might be a little extreme to just ignore a hand scramble, but hand scrambling does often create super easy cases yeah i mean i think that it's reasonable to not accept a hand scramble as your pb if you're comparing yourself to like the wca right Um, yeah if you want to get an if you want to have an idea of what you actually will average in a competition then you should scramble it like you're in a competition but yeah i just think it's interesting to think about i don't i don't necessarily come down like super hard on either either way but yeah i think that to some extent the the puzzle was designed to be hand scrambled like Mm-hmm. No one really expected to actually be able to access an equiprobable distribution of scrambles. Yeah, I think I think the main thing is that we don't want we don't want the method of scrambling to become non-method neutral. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and by doing random move scrambling, I think especially for three by three, you are going to be preferring methods where you have simple EOs mm-hmm. with, that could take advantage of more simpler EOs. For square one, um, CSP all of a sudden loses a lot of validity simply because of the type of scramble, the type of scrambling that's used. And I mean, like, relative to anything, there's always a certain amount of bias one way or the other, but I think that the, the idea of using equiprobable states is the least biased way you can be toward any method because you can get any state. Yeah, I would definitely say I, I'm a strong believer in equiprobable random state distribution. Of course, this is a pipe dream for things like 5x5 five five and up. I feel like we could get there on 5x5 five five someday. Probably. Uh, but I mean, 4x4 four four takes so long to initialize. That's true. It's... I mean, maybe we can get that more efficient and have, like, a really slow, like, random state solver for 5x5. I don't have any idea of what it would take to get there, but I'm skeptical given just of how (laughs) magnitudes higher in complexity that puzzle is. Yeah, yeah. Eh, Computers are getting faster and stuff and whatever, you know. It'll happen someday. (laughs) If we we go infinitely far into the future, uh, obviously this is like the main problem facing humanity right now that we're all going to band together to solve. So that's right. Uh, <laughs> because we definitely don't have bigger fish to fry like the heat death of the universe. No, that's a minor issue compared to this. minor issue. It's been so long. We've forgotten how to end these. If we ever knew, we, we definitely never knew how to end these. We maybe had that one normal ending that one time, but that, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but then that that we couldn't even do it normal that that one time. So right, all right. You want to try to have the most normal ending we can, which will the, make it by virtue of being the con- only one very abnormal. This concludes the layer by, by layer, layer podcast. podcast. This is this a normal is a normal ending of the podcast. The podcast. Listen. We will see you next see you. time. Bye. Please check out our subreddit. Subreddit. I got that word. By layer. By layer.com. Nope. <laughs> <laughs>
Is there even a layerbylayer.com? I don't know, but we should probably reserve that at some point, you know? It could be useful in the future. Um, oh, who is verification is pending. Okay. Interesting. So it seems owned. I don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>